Good evening, everyone. My name is Simon Barrett, and this is another uh, edition of Journey into Justice, a, a look at uh, our legal system. Um, some of it's good, some of it's bad. All of it is worth talking about. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, attorney and author Mark Bellow. Uh, Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you, Simon. Good to be with you again. I I, I thought this week, um, just because it's so much fun, um, we could dive a little deeper into the subject of sexual abuse by the uh, clergy. Um, your debut novel was Betrayal of Faith, which I thought was a cracking read. And it, it wasn't until very recently that I, I discovered that um, it, it was loosely based on uh, your, your own experience, um, I'll say some years ago, but I, I, I think it was, I think the, the, the real term would be uh, quite a few or quite a lot of years ago representing uh, abuse victims. Recently, uh, as in within the last two weeks, I, I watched a, a really interesting and enthralling documentary. Um, the, the title of it is Spotlight, and uh, it, it's all about what happened in Boston. The uh, investigative team from the uh, Boston Globe that uh, looked at the Catholic clergy and um, that they thought they had maybe one or two um, priests that were uh, abusing um, children. And, and as the documentary unfolds, you know, <laughs> one or two turns into 90. At least I, I think that was the number. Have you seen this uh, documentary, Mark? Well, I, I'm, I, I've seen the Academy Award-winning movie, which is called Spotlight. I'm not sure uh, yeah, if there's a documentary, but if there's a documentary by the same name, um, I have not seen that. But the movie. Oh, I, I, okay. I, I'm sure it's the. Uh, I'm sure we're talking about the same. Uh, same okay. movie. That's a that's a terrific movie and and a, a an excellent representation of. Um, the press breaking the scandal and bringing the church to its knees based on their reporting. Um, 
from a legal standpoint, uh, the movie did not highlight or uh, depict the scandal from a legal standpoint. It was much more um, focused on the press and the press's exposure, particularly of the Boston uh, scandal. Um, in the, uh, I want to say, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and really, uh, that movie, not the movie, but the incident, uh, the movie highlighted it later, but the incident basically um, popped the lid from a publicity standpoint off the scandal. What the public doesn't know um, is these in, these incidents um, have been occurring since the early 50s, at least from the standpoint of U.S. investigations, um, uh, investigational information goes all the way back to 1950. And as I just indicated, early 2000s, late 90s for the Boston thing. So you're looking at a situation that's been uh, an issue in the United States uh, for 50 years prior to Boston. So that should give you a little focus on on uh, what we're dealing with in terms of how far back this goes. Um, and we're talking about serious stuff even uh, way before uh, Boston and, and the 21st century. My case, for instance, uh, happened in the 80s. The, um, the incident, the betrayal of faith, uh, not is based on, but what prompted the betrayal of faith. Um, the two boys I represented uh, were molested in the late 70s. The same priest uh, molested four boys in the early 70s uh, and a case preceding mine uh, and this will give you an example of the tactics that we're talking about um, to get a few more bucks for his client the, the lawyer agreed to a seal of the court file so uh, and a confidentiality agreement. So I had to track these people down and beg them to talk and go to court and unseal the file um, in the interest of public policy. I used a public policy argument to persuade the judge that all they were doing was covering up uh, civil and criminal crimes um, and I was successful in unsealing the file and persuading the family to um, provide depositions in our case. And those prior incidents and the church's cover-up of them are what resulted in a positive 
um, resolution of, of the cases I handle. One little side note, um, the case was filed on the 18th birthday of the youngest brother of the two boys, uh, the youngest of the two. The, in Michigan, if the statute of limitations has run, and we're looking at a statute running in either a year to three years, depending on what we alleged. So the statute of limitations had run on these two boys. I filed the case when I first got it, and that was on the birthday of the youngest boy. So the oldest boy was shut out. I could only represent one of them. When I met with the church and brought that to their attention, they assured me that they would compensate the older brother and pay for any psychiatric treatment he needed. And they failed to do either. Uh, so this is the kind of thing you're dealing with. You're dealing with um, cover-ups, uh, secret transfers, files being sealed, records being hidden, uh, clergy people lying under oath. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's pretty sad and, and uh, kind of unbelievable. You know, you see uh, a rather famous cardinal on television, uh, and he is revered in your town, and you think uh, maybe he'll be pope someday. What a great man. And he comes to a deposition and lies to you. Uh, it's mind-boggling. I, I guess what, what I uh, am having trouble wrapping my head around is the sheer scale of, of the problem. I, I did a Google News search earlier this afternoon. Uh, I, I, all, all I typed in was um, Catholic sex abuse. Boy, I got <laughs> reams and reams of uh, articles. Um, the the he, this problem has been around for so many years, and the Catholic Church has paid, um, I, I think, a, a fairly substantial amount of money, you know, to uh, make it go away, but it doesn't seem to be going away. What's the problem? And, and is still and is still paying. Right. You know, if I if I if I knew the secret sauce to answer that question, I would give it to you. I I I've been wrestling with this issue since, uh, like I said, the mid '80s. And uh, uh, by the way, to, to address your point about money, uh, we're looking at an amount higher than three billion dollars in verdicts and settlements in the United States alone. Um, 
I'll get to the issue of this being a global problem rather than just a national one, but you mentioned money, and the the answer is more than $3 billion has been paid out in verdicts and settlements in the United States. You mentioned bankruptcy and 19 orders or diocese in the United States that filed for bankruptcy protection. There are enough cases out there that some terrific lawyers like Jeff Anderson and Mike Bryant in Minnesota, like Dave Middleman here in Michigan, like Joe Saunders in Florida. You mentioned uh, another lawyer who I hadn't heard of in in Rochester, New York, uh, when we were off the air. They limit their practices or concentrate very heavily on clergy abuse. That's how many cases are out there. Um, So, uh, again, that's kind of mind-boggling. Why? Why do they allow it to continue? Uh, I've heard a lot of excuses. Uh, we we like to forgive, uh, so we assume that uh, uh, God forgives and so do we, um, so we'll forgive the priests. Um, I've heard shortage of priests uh, cause this problem. Um But the excuses that I hear are so insignificant, insufficient to justify uh, the other side of this, which is, and and here's the, you know, I mentioned, quote, cover-up, unquote. Um, I'll just give you the example of my case. The priest in my case, I'm not going to mention names or cities or anything like that, but but the priest in my case um, was the assistant pastor of a small suburban Detroit city and church. He molested poor boys there, uh, got, got away with it from a criminal standpoint, got sued civilly, and as I said earlier, the file, transcripts, court records, and settlement were sealed and covered up. Did they send him for help? Did they send him to a monastery? Did they send him uh, for psychiatric treatment? Did they they, um, defrock him? No, they transferred him quietly without letting the next community know to another parish in suburban Michigan where my clients lived. And there, because the community didn't know anything about this guy, there he took these boys on a camping trip and molested the two boys I represented. Why would you send a predator priest, a priest who has molested four boys, and you're aware of this, to a second parish in a neighboring community and permit him to do it again? 
Now, if that doesn't shock you, how about this? When he when he is exposed for molesting the two boys that I represented, the mother does not want to remain silent, and she presses criminal charges against him. Criminal charges are pressed. The prosecutor negotiates a plea, and the priest does six months in jail. He's let out of jail, or let's say when he he does his time, when he gets out of jail, what does the church do? They transfer him to another parish where he is again exposed to young teenage boys. The difference between the difference between that transfer and the transfer that caused my client's pain and suffering is that we did not remain silent. We did not allow them to cover it up. And in fact, I called the, the uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it away, <laughs> but I'll say it anyway. I called, I called the newspaper in the town he got transferred to, and I told them that they had a predator in their midst. And they published a front-page article that exposed him for the predator he was. After that, they still didn't learn their lesson. Can you believe this? They transferred him again to another community. And and I got wind of the fact that they transferred him again, and I notified the paper in that community. And finally, when they figured out that Mark Bella was going to follow this guy wherever he went, they was going to call the newspaper of every town they sent him to, they finally defrocked him. And that is the story of the case that led to betrayal of faith. That that is such a sad story. I mean scary. <laughs> scary more than sad. Yep, I mean number one, at at the very first instance of abuse, um why didn't the kid come forward? And uh, get the guy arrested. I I I know the answer. Uh, it, it's because the uh, child believes in the um, in the greater good, shall we say? You know, it, it's a con job. Um, you've, would you've you agree with that? You've absolutely got the right idea. What what was going on is when you say come forward, there's different ways to come forward. First of all, keep in mind, and and this is portrayed in in the book, in Betrayal of Faith, keep in mind that that the idea, you're, you're 13, 14 years old, you've had sex with the priest, 
you want to come forward and tell people that you've had sex with the priest? Right. You're not gay. It's a crime. Oh, it's... he's a child. He's a child molester, but the, the guilt feelings you have for quote having sex with the priest unquote decriminalizes it, if you will, in your mind, and there's an embarrassment factor. Uh, maybe you go to Catholic school. Maybe you go to public school. You want to go to school and be the guy that got that had sex with the priest. So there's <laughs> there's this there's this issue of being quiet in general. Now you let's suppose that you feel that this criminal should not get away with this. Who do you go to if you're a Catholic? Answer, you go to the church. Who is his superior? The Monsignor, the pastor, the cardinal, the archbishop in your city, in your community. What do they tell you? We'll take care of this, uh, but we don't want scandal. We don't want the city to look poorly on the church. So let's handle this quietly. We'll take care of everything. And they maybe offer some treatment. They maybe offer some money. They quickly get documents signed that prevent you from talking about it publicly. And as I indicated, they then transfer uh, the predator out of the community. Now, I'm speaking very broadly. I'm telling you what happened back in the 70s and 80s in the case I handled. Uh, I, I had a couple of conversations with some guys uh, who I know handle these cases today, and I wanted to have them on the show today, but I couldn't. they couldn't swing it on their schedules. Um, I'm hoping you get them to come on, a, on to a future episode. Uh, but uh, if you if you watch the movie Spotlight, uh, if you've read about incidents like the one I handled and wrote about in my book Betrayal of Faith, um, it's it seems that the behavior gets repeated over and over and over again. And I, I, while I don't think they can get away with uh, the conspiracy of silence today that they got away with yesterday, they still can very effectively silence devout religious people uh, into doing what's, quote, good for the church, unquote, rather than what's good for society, uh, and what's good for their own children. It's At the end of the day, when you think about this, um, and I, I, I'm, I, I feel terribly 
for the woman who was the mother of these four children. I met her. Um, she's a nice lady. Uh, her kids are fine kids. But to allow the church to cover this up the way they did uh, facilitated the molestation of the two boys that I represented. And she is not a woman that would do that without being brainwashed to. Uh, and I'm not using the word brainwashed in a literal sense, but uh, the guilt trip is essentially the equivalent of a brainwashing. Right. Um, what, what I'm wrestling with, well, actually I'm wrestling with lots of things, but um, that there's many, many uh, religions. I, I've never heard of uh, the Harry Krishnas getting <laughs> accused of sexual abuse. I mean, clothing abuse, certainly. I mean, those uh, pink gowns are uh, kind of off-putting, but I, I, I don't think they're criminal. What, why, why does it always seem to be the Catholic Church? Well, far be it from me to defend the Catholic Church. Um, but I don't think that's true. I, you've, you've, you've heard this with um, the Boy Scouts. You've heard this uh, in other um, religions. In, in my religion, uh, Judaism, there was a, an abusive rabbi uh, um, back in the day. I don't remember the specific incidents, um, uh, but it, it, it's not... It's not limited to the church. The problem uh, with the Catholic Church is the tolerance of the behavior and the and the conspiracy of silence and transfer that I just described. If you have a predator in your midst, identify him, charge him, criminalize his behavior, and get rid of him. Instead. They transfer him to, from place to place without supervision and let him do it again. And that's the thing that I still, to this day, can't understand. Um, and, and, and by the way, putting aside this question of does it happen in other religions, because it does, but uh, a lot of a lot of people who are, are familiar with the uh, scandal think that this is a local situation and it is by no means a local um, USA problem it is a it is an Amer it is a Catholic Church problem uh, it is certainly an American Catholic Church issue, I just gave you the figure, $3 billion have been paid in the civil justice system um, to settle or, 
or or trial verdicts uh, in this area of the law. But this is a global crisis. You know, in Argentina, the Pope's home country, there was a scandal involving a priest, and that situation was something that was investigated when he was a cardinal in Argentina by the Pope himself. Pope Francis, who then was named Jorge Mario Bergoglio, I think it was, commissioned a study, and the study was based on the conviction of a priest who Francis claimed was innocent. And the study, a study, the, the findings came out, it's 2,000 pages worth, that basically said the priest is innocent, the victims are lying, and the case that convicted him should not have gone forward. These were the findings that Francis himself commissioned. The Argentine Supreme Court, despite the report, convicted the guy, upheld the conviction, excuse me, and upheld his 15-year prison sentence. He didn't, they didn't drop a single minute off of his sentence. Who were the victims? The priest ran street homes. Street homes. Poor people who had no place to live, no place else to go off the street. And this priest ran these centers and molested the kids that went there. That's wow. That's that's Argentina. Uh, by the way, another bishop there was recently investigated and they got him out of Argentina. Ask me where he went. <laughs> Where'd he go? He got a job at the Vatican. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, I, I, I know. I, I know that this isn't a, a, a U.S. only problem. Uh, I, Australia, I can't remember Australia, the Australia. Australia. Yeah, Australia. France, Germany. Yep. Yep. Um, it, 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 the Ireland. The list goes right. on and on. <laughs> I mean, I I still don't understand. But yeah, you know, there again, I'm I'm not the uh, sharpest pencil. Um, why? I've noticed that, man. Right, right. Why on earth has this being allowed to go on for so long. 
again, uh, you, that, this, you know, you've asked me the same question because you're so you're so shocked by it, and I agree with you. But you've asked me the same question in different ways, and I, I have no explanation for you. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm more than puzzled about it. I don't understand what the benefit is. The only the only excuse I've ever heard is shortage of priests. Okay, if you have a shortage of priests, you're going to stick a child molester in a position where you can molest more children because you have a shortage of priests? Uh, that that doesn't ring true to me, and I've never heard any logical or even illogical, sensible explanation for that behavior. Uh, By the way, interesting little side note about uh, the spotlight situation and the Boston um, scandal that resulted in the movie. You know the name Theodore McCarrick, right? Yeah. He's the recent, he's the most recent public uh, figure in the church, the former Archbishop of Washington, who got defrocked, I think it was either this year or last year, after a Vatican tribunal found him guilty of misconduct of minors. Um, He even apparently uh, solicited sex during confession. But uh, this gentleman was one of the cardinals who helped draft the resolution of the Boston scandal. And the Massachusetts diocese policy became a, quote, one strike and you're out policy. And what that basically said was any single act of abuse results in the defrocking of any priest. Now, that's how it should be. That should be the uniform standard in the Catholic Church. One strike and you're up. So here's a guy who sits on a committee, for lack of a better word, that produces the one-strike-and-you're-out policy, and all the while, he was guilty of the very same conduct he was judging. And he gets defrocked for the same kinds of of acts and behaviors. It's astounding. Oh, and th- this just boggles my mind. Um, and hey, mine as well. We, 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 we've talked a lot about um, uh, betrayal of faith. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your other books and where people can buy them? My books are available at my website, um, www. MarkMBello.com. Bello is spelled B-E-L-L-O. Uh, my books are also available on Amazon. 
if you put my name into the search box, Mark Bellow or Bellow or, uh, you know, I, I haven't tried all the combinations, but <laughs> you can, Mark, Mark, Bellow, Mark Bellow will probably get it for you. Mark M. Bellow will get it for you for sure. Um, my character, the uh, hero attorney of all my books, is a gentleman by the name of Zachary Blake. And you could probably uh, put Zachary Blake in a search box on Amazon and you'll get uh, my novels. All of my novels are civil and criminal justice novels uh, based either on um, legal, actual legal cases or uh, events that occurred in the headlines and uh, produced a visceral reaction from me. Uh, so uh, Betrayal of Faith, as we've discussed, was based on the clergy abuse scandal. Uh, and I, I started to mention this, and I, I, I don't want to forget about it. Spotlight uh, was a movie about the press and the press's exposure of the scandal and the church trying to deceive the press. Betrayal of Faith is about how the legal system handles the behavior of the priest and the behavior of the church. And this is a very interesting legal point I know you asked me about my other books, but I, I, I want I want the public to understand the importance of this difference, if you will. A Catholic priest declares an oath of poverty. They make a small stipend, and they're fed and, and housed by the church, but they're not wealthy people. They don't make a lot of money. So if you as a victim are limited in your lawsuit to pursuing a case against the predator priest, your recovery is going to be very small and you won't even be able to pay for psychiatric treatment with it. What makes these cases the significant cases that they have become is the behavior of the church itself. Why are 19 dioceses, dioceses declaring bankruptcy? Because their archbishops, their bishops, their monsignors, their cardinals, all of them are covering these crimes up and committing criminal, and serious civil acts as well. So by getting to what we in the legal profession call the deep pockets, uh, that's what makes these cases successful. Um, if, you, if you were limited to suing an impoverished priest, you wouldn't collect very much money. So uh, the book... Um, 
by the way, the the cover up that I described has a lot to do with what I just said. There's a huge amount of money at stake in these kinds of uh, in paying the damages that these victims suffer. And uh, that also uh, provides incentive for the cover-up, rightly or wrongly. I'm not justifying the cover-up. I'm just saying the cover-up is uh, done to avoid uh, paying a large judgment. And um, a good attorney like a Jeff Anderson or a Dave Middleman will uncover the conspiracy and if you think about what I just said, if you uncover the conspiracy, that makes it even worse. Uh, think about approaching a victim. And, and again, we're getting back to the same point uh, points I made earlier, but, but it's important to think about victims' behavior also. The victim, let's say the first four boys in my case, they go to the church and the church does everything right. They take really, really good care of these people. Are they going to get sued? Probably not. Are they going to get pissed? Probably not. Are they going to get forgive, forgiven? Probably. So, Again, to, to go back to the this boggles my mind comment that you made, why not just behave appropriately when you find out about these things? Do what you should do instead of covering them up, and the damages will be far less. Uh, by the way, the one thing we're missing here also is the kid – and the mother and the father, you, uh, the reason I've left the father out is typically they, they prey on fatherless families. Um, so it's usually a mother and her boys, at least that, that was my experience. Um, but treatment, if these kids get treatment right away, their damages are going to be smaller. Their long-term harm is going to be smaller. So do the right thing, confess, get these people into treatment, pay them appropriately, take care of them, and it will cost you far less money. Instead, they lie, cheat, cover up, transfer, and there's this huge, huge conspiracy that is uh, depicted in Betrayal of Faith um, through a clandestine organization within the church called the Coalition. That's the biggest fictional part of this. But as an attorney fighting these people, this organization, that's what it felt like. There was like there was a CIA 
within the church that handles these things and tries to cover them up or resolve them quickly and quietly uh, by any means possible. Um, and I created this organization that does this. That's how it felt. Uh, so I, I wanted to make those points because it's important for the public to know that there's a right way to handle this, even if you have a a predator working for you, and there's a wrong way to handle it. And the church almost always back in the day handled these things the wrong way. Um, the yeah. second book was is Betrayal of Justice, and it's um, a lot of people think that that book is based on Donald Trump, that I wrote it um, just to pick on Donald Trump. And while I wrote it, uh, first of all, what most people don't know when they read it is that I wrote it in 2016. So when I finished the book, Donald Trump was not president of the United States. The 2016 election was winding down, and I was hearing things like Latinos are sending, or Mexico is sending its worst people here, they're murderers and rapists. I was hearing things like a Muslim ban in the United States. And when you're a minority like I am, and you start hearing other minorities being picked on, it doesn't take a lot to make you say, "Air but by the grace of God, go I. Uh, am I the next minority to be picked on? So I decided to write a book about a bigoted president um, who... Uh, did a lot of bad things while in office and did institute a Muslim ban, did build a wall, uh, did uh, discriminate against minorities, uh, did have a foul mouth. Uh, and I basically dared, now, you know, I'm a small little guy. He's never read my book and he doesn't know who I am or uh, at least I don't think so. But I, in my book, I basically dared Donald Trump not to be that guy. Sadly, he became that guy. And you will read in Betrayal of Justice a lot of stuff, a lot of things that the president does that you think, as a reader, I took from things Donald Trump did while he was in office. And the answer is, no, I didn't. It's the other way around. I predicted that a guy who talks like this man did in 2015 and 16 might be the kind of president that does these kinds of things. And lo and behold, he didn't. He, he disappointed me rather than um, uh, make me a liar. And that's on him, not on me. There are a lot of people who think my book uh, is a, a essentially a hit job on 
the president. And I tell everybody that says that that I wrote it before he became president. So how is it possible that I could have been picking on anything he did while he was in office? So that's that's betrayal of justice. It's about a bigoted president uh, and a young Muslim woman who whose family is deported um, and their mosque is targeted by white supremacists. Uh, she takes it upon herself to um, try to find the perpetrator of this conspiracy against her mosque. She finds him. The guy is murdered, and she gets accused of his murder. And that's where Zachary Blake comes in. That's Betrayal of Justice. Betrayal in Blue, the third book, is a follow-up, a white supremacist follow-up of Betrayal of Justice. Uh, He tells the story of a successor white supremacist outfit who conspires to release a dangerous gas in the city of Dearborn, Michigan, where the largest population of Muslim citizens lives and um, the cop who tries to track down the mastermind of that attempted terrorist act ends up being accused of killing the terrorist by a small town police force which is why it's called Betrayal in Blue one police force betraying uh, another cop. I call it cops versus cop. Um, So uh, it's a pretty interesting um, discussion of white supremacy and its interrelationship with uh, bigotry and um, policing. Um, Which brings me to the fourth book, which is going to come out very soon. It is called Betrayal in Black, and it is is about a small-time, predominantly white community uh, and a a police officer shooting of a young black man in front of his family. Um, And again, very much like Betrayal of Faith, Betrayal in Black tells the story of a police shooting in the context of how the legal system deals with the recovery of damages for the victims and possibly uh, the criminal prosecution of the police officer who perpetrates the crime. Uh, A lot of the Black Lives Matter movement activities are related to cops getting away with shooting um, black people uh, in certain situations. Um, 
they don't feel, and I tried to write about uh, those feelings and those circumstances from different points of view, different character perspectives. Um, what motivates their anger um, and how the criminal justice system seems to give uh, the perpetrators in these situations a pass on criminality in these cop-on-black shootings. Uh, so that's that's what uh, the first four books are are about. I, I've written, almost completed uh, another book uh, that um, is based on uh, school, uh, a particular school shooting, uh, and that book uh, is tentatively called Betrayal High. All my books are betrayal books. Uh, Zachary wrote betrayal books. Betrayal High tells the story of a school shooting from many perspectives, including uh, the bullied uh, perpetrator slash victim. He's a victim of bullying. He's the perpetrator of a school shooting. No bullying, no school shooting. So victim turns perpetrator. It's a very interesting study in uh, that phenomenon. And the last book, I'm writing a book right now, but uh, there's a book I'm I'm almost uh, done editing, and that is based on uh, the Supreme Court hearings um, involving Justice Kavanaugh. It is not based on Justice Kavanaugh, uh, but it 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 kind of um, the Kavanaugh hearings were the incentive for, for writing the book. Uh, and that's going to be called, I think, Supreme Betrayal. And those are my <laughs> six books. The, uh, the seventh book is in, I, I'm in the process of writing. Uh, it is um, a, a commentary on immigration and the country's current uh, feelings about the immigration situation um, told from the perspective of immigrants from different countries. Uh, I'm working on that right now. So uh, the, the point, Simon, is that, that I tend to write about current events and things that come up that, that happen in America that I find uh, contrary that I find run contrary to uh, the country America should be. Right. I, I mean, I I love your um, I, I love your writing. Um, the, uh, the the book you're uh, about to release, Betrayal of uh, Black. I, I think that's the title. Betrayal I'm, in Black. Betrayal in Black. Okay. Correct. Um, if you could send me um, a manuscript, I, I don't need the uh, paper version. Quite frankly, my eyes are shot, and I uh, I used to love to read 
books, but these days the computer is um, way better. I I would love to read it, and uh, um, we can put a whole program together just on that subject. How does that sound? I'm happy to do that. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm. You're, I'm you're looking. Such, up. You're such a cheap. You're such a cheapskate. <laughs> you, you, you could buy. You could buy. You could buy the book for a Kindle for four ninety nine, man. And and you can make the print as big as you want. Yeah, I, you're, you're right. I'm just a cheapskate. I'm, you're a cheapskate. I'm, but I, but all right. I'm I'm looking at the clock, and uh, um, we've got about three minutes left, so clearly not enough time to uh, explore uh, another subject. So I'm going to uh, leave it up to you. Um, Give us your uh, parting thoughts. My parting thoughts are, um, you know, if, if if any official of the Catholic Church is listening to this broadcast, I implore you to turn back from your despicable behavior and start behaving like the religious, caring, um, organization that uh, you were structured to be. Uh, As Simon indicated and as I indicate, it boggles the mind that um, a predator would abuse children and then be transferred to another community to abuse more children without that community being told or informed that there is a predator in their midst. And, uh, you know, again, I'm not jumping on a soapbox and saying I'm uh, the greatest lawyer in America for doing what I did, but I was a young uh, attorney at the time I, I had been practicing for six years uh, and as a young man in my 30s it was very obvious to me that this idea of hiding a predator from the public was a bad idea and wherever this man went I was going to expose him and somebody like that Uh, in every community in America, in every community around the world, if the church was confronted with a marked bellow in every community that they tried to do this in, you would not see these kinds of events occur. So I encourage the church to do the right thing, the victims to do the right thing, the communities that are aware of the conduct to do the right thing, and the attorneys 
who are offered more money for their clients to look the other way and keep things quiet should also do the right thing and not sign non-disclosure agreements, not agree to seal their files, make sure that wherever this predator goes, the public is aware of who he is and what he is so that these kinds of things stop happening. And okay, Mark, that's essentially I, I, my have take to, on I have to let you know um, we just went off air. We we went over uh, uh, an hour, um, but it, it's okay. Uh, on the recording, we're, we're still going to be here for uh, fifteen minutes. Um, Already. Anyway, I I think it's time to. Pardon? You want you you want to have your bail conversation for the recording or no? Or you want to do that next week? No. We'll, we'll do it another uh, another day. Um, you got it. Mark, th- this has been yes, a splendid program. I-, I hope you've had as much fun as I have. Um, I always have fun. Right. <laughs> okay. So, everybody, till next week, this is Simon Barrett. And Mark Bellow, wishing everyone a happy, healthy, and safe week. We'll be back again next uh, Monday with a new program. Who knows what we'll be discussing. Till then, goodbye. Thanks, Simon. Bye, everybody. Bye.